Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Let's now welcome Lord Digby Jones to the show. Good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Good morning. To you, Lo- morning lovely, to sp- lovely to speak to you. Uh, now, uh, two big things I want to talk to you about. Um, huge sums of money being pumped into the economy by the Bank of England. £100 billion. I mean, it barely makes the front pages. Just, oh, another £100 billion. Don't worry about that. Printing some money. Barely a story these days, Digby. But also the Office for National Statistics just released in the last few moments uh, the latest public sector debt figures. And uh, by the end of May, public sector debt was 100 0.9% of GDP. It's the first time that uh, public sector debt has gone over 100% of GDP since 1963. It is an absolute record. The government borrowed £55.2 billion in May. That's after a record £62.1 billion pounds borrowing in April amid the COVID epidemic. Um, should we be scared of these figures? Well, funny, you, you, that's the way you just framed your question to me because I was about to say, and your point is, Oh. Because, because because the issue is the alternative was worse. Okay. What we have to do is, as long as the next stage is done well, what we had to do was keep people with having some money, having something, and not having amazingly mass unemployment and mass uh, uh, layoffs and not having any money in the economy. And indeed, not just those in uh, in, in work, but also to make sure that the self-employed, I should have said in employed positions, not in work, because self-employed yeah, yeah. work really hard, but the, uh, also to make sure that the self-employed had money, to make sure that the nation could just keep going. So um, I, I, uh, it's record. It's, uh, of course, it's not pleasant. I think if you put the comparator on, which I don't think you, you or I know, um, but if you put the comparator on, look at, proportionately to population and size of economy, America or France or, or Germany, um, you'd find much the same. But I did say then the caveat is to make sure that the second bit's done well now, which is get the nation back to work. So it's earning, it's generating wealth, it's earning money in the economy. That means that they not only uh, can afford to spend in shops and they can afford to go back out into leisure and hospitality, but also that the um, taxes paid and if taxes paid then you have money to pay for this debt and you have money to pay for schools and hospitals and key workers and everything else so the second stage it's almost like we've put all this in to stop bleeding now we've got to make sure the wound heals and so on that basis the second stage is so important and I think 
I don't think you're going to find many politicians will ever admit this. And, and you know, people can ask them till they go blue in the face, but they're not going to admit it. But I think they're all going to do it. And that is put the economic health and the mental health to make sure that people get it right, having been banged up for three months, but to get the mental and economic health now as a priority over the physical health and get the physical health. We know the NHS can cope. We know that it's fewer deaths, thank God, fewer cases, all the rest. And to get it to a point where there will be more cases because people statistically will get it because statistically they're going to be having a form of social intercourse. But at the end of the day, what we've got to do is get the nation working again. That's the absolute key, isn't it? I've been delighted this week to be back in the studio, actually allowed in the building. I don't know, there may have been a petition to stop it previously, I don't know. But um, it, it's amazing how many more people are out and about at the moment and uh, and people going to the shops since they've opened on Monday. And and there are some people who are still very, very wary of coming out, don't want to send their kids to school. But again, and again, I keep mentioning this every day this week, the poll on Sunday, two thirds of people think, yeah, there's going to be economic problems, but it's not going to affect me. Um, can you explain to those people why, even if they don't lose their job, and they may well be furloughed and think they've still got a job right now, which doesn't actually exist anymore, but even if they don't lose their job, lose their job, why it is going to affect them? Well, it, it, I had a very sad story yesterday told me, which is I was uh, on the phone in one of my uh, one of the companies I chair, and a PA, um, her brother, thirty nine years old, no underlying health conditions in Coventry felt pretty rough last week dead yesterday oh gosh and and that and that person is 38 39 not 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 diabetes age 76 yeah and and what we have to understand is this thing kills you but that doesn't mean that if you don't you know you take sensible precautions you wear a face covering you socially distance if you have if you're worried about going out because you have underlying health conditions i'm ever so sorry but till there's a vaccine you're going to be spending more time at home than most others. But it's your call. I think we've got to now say to people, use your common sense. You use the, don't rely on, oh, well, the government have said, you know, is the government doing this? What is the government doing for me? We mustn't become too reliant on them, they, it. And we've got to start saying, what is common sense? How can we take charge of our own? How can we make sure that we stay within guidelines? But we must not. And to the young, I would say, you know, you've been banged up for three months. You, you, you're going to let it explode in riots and stuff. Human nature, I guess. But at the end of the day, as you go back into a way, a normal way of life, and thank heavens you are for the reasons I said about getting the economy back. But just be incredibly careful. Don't treat it like the release of lockdown is for some reason crisis over, everything OK, because it isn't. Okay. And until there's a vaccine, it won't be. Can I also ask you about a lot of the big debates that are going on at the moment in terms of uh, woke culture, cancel culture, um, statues, um, people apologising for everything. The Bank of England is the latest to apologise, along with the Church of England, for historic slavery links, for people involved in, in both organisations uh, who uh, who had benefited from those reparations that were paid. And it is extraordinary, you look at it from the 21st century, that, that when slavery was abolished, compensation was paid not to the slaves, but to the slave 
slave owners for losing their effectively what they thought was you know their property, actual human beings that they had traded in. Uh, and it is an extraordinary thing now, but you know it's what happened at the time, and it was what was necessary to to make sure that slavery could be uh, be abolished. Um, but the Bank of England is apologising, Church of England apologising, England Rugby now calling on fans to stop singing "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot." Um, statues being toppled. What do you make of it all? Well, we've got to get this in perspective. As you rightly said, um, you know, to get it through, to get abolition through, there had to be the bribe. We are talking 1830. We're not talking 2020. And that is the way to get through. Britain was the first country on the planet to abolish slavery. We bossed the oceans, so we made sure that others couldn't carry slave traders. So let's give ourselves some sort of historical credit if we don't also wear sackcloth and ashes. And and also, where does it stop, Julia? I mean, are we going to close, rip up and resurface the A5, Watling Street, Fossway, Icknill Street, all the big artery roads of Britain because they were built with slave labour? Are we going to pull down the pyramids because they were built with slave labour from Namibia? You know, at what point does this stop? Do we write to the Italian government and ask for an apology for what the Romans did to us? I mean, and and, and if you go to the east coast of Africa, in the east coast of Africa, you have all those ports where blacks went into the interior, took other blacks, brought them to the coast, and Arabs took these poor creatures and enslaved them and took them up to the Middle East. Now, at some point, we've got to put perspective. Do I think it's disgusting? Of course I do. Do I think what... What we've done is was wrong, and do I think that we should be making sure with education and with a lack of glorification, we make sure that we get this in perspective so we understand? Of course we do. But we've got to, at some point, move on. And that doesn't mean move on and ignore it and be oblivious to the disgusting thing that it was. But it does mean that we put it into a modern perspective and educate and ensure that Frankly, we in our minds, we get it right. And those people who feel that they are racially discriminated against institutionally and emotionally and in our society, deep in our society, that we actually help them to understand that we are on their side and that they've got to make a journey as well. And, and if we're going to get this right, pulling down a statue democratically putting it into another place, not destroying it, but putting it in another place as a mark of history might be right, but it's not going to solve a thing. Okay. Lord Digby-Jones, always talking sense. Absolute pleasure to speak to you. I'm sure lots of people will be cheering at the radio right now. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Lord Digby-Jones there, former Director General of the CBI. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Right now, let's welcome the Minister for School Standards, uh, Nick Gibb, who joins us. Good morning to you, Nick. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Uh, Let's talk about this £1 billion fund uh, to help uh, kids who've missed out on schools catch up. Um, First question, really, is a billion pounds enough to help millions of children who haven't had any education for six months to catch up? Well, it's a huge sum of money, uh, £650 million for schools to decide how to use that money to ensure that children who've been at home, who may not have uh, been as assiduous in their studies as they should have been, can catch up on their studies. And £350 million is for disadvantaged children. That, uh, and we're working with the Education Endowment Foundation and some, some established tutor companies to provide one-to-one online tuition for those pupils. It's a very significant sum of money. 
because as a government, we are absolutely determined that no child should uh, have their education damaged uh, as a consequence of the coronavirus crisis. We want their life chances to be restored. Uh, you know, rapidly after after the return to school. Well, look, it's it's a good aim. I'm, I'm I'm fully in support of this. I'm very very anxious about the number of children who just from ordinary homes and not just disadvantaged homes who are missing out on their education. But wouldn't it be better to concentrate on making sure, in the first instance, that every single school is providing lessons right now online, and not every school is two million kids not getting any classes that are meaningful at all. Wouldn't that money be better spent on on frankly kicking the backsides of some head teachers and teachers at some schools and making sure they do the job they're already being paid to do. Well, schools are doing a great job. No, they're not. No, they're not. Two yes, million. No, two million kids aren't getting an education at all at the moment. How can you possibly say? Oh, not some schools are doing a brilliant job, but not all schools yeah. are. Yes, there are all kinds of uh, these studies, but my uh, experience is that schools are doing a great job in providing online uh, uh, lessons for schools. We ourselves, as a government, launched within two weeks of closed down, uh, with 40 excellent teachers, the, the Oak National Academy providing 180 online lessons, high quality lessons a week for all years of uh, children's education, which parents can use as well as schools. We provided uh, you know, free resources as well, online resources that, uh, children, that uh, schools can use and children can use. So they are working very hard into providing uh, education and work for children at home, but nothing is better than children being in front of their class teacher and that's why we have this phased opening of schools starting with reception year one year six from the first of june and part-time for year 10 and 12 from the 15th of june uh carefully staged carefully phased in line with the medical evidence and then our clear intention of course julia is that we want all schools uh, open by September so they can resume their education and they can start okay. this catch-up. But, but can I just say, I mean, I've got friends who, who are probably not, they're not disadvantaged, not in a disadvantaged area. Their school is providing, to a primary school pupils, one worksheet on a Monday and told you're not allowed to contact their head te- sorry, your teacher more than one email a week. No other contact, no, no second email allowed, even if there's a problem. Are you telling me that school's doing a good job? No, there are some schools that are better than others. Exactly. And what we've been doing since 2010 is to uh, improve our whole school system. So when we came into office, something like a third of schools were not good enough. Now that's down to 14%. We want it to be lower still. We continue the work of improving all our schools to give every... To, I want to make sure that every parent can be reassured that their local school is a good school. And that's that programme of school improvements and school reform and education reform continues and will, con- and will continue. All right. I mean, again, I, I absolutely fully support what the government has done in the past since 2010 to improve uh, schools and particularly for the most disadvantaged pupils. Fully behind all of that and all credit to you for that. But I'm afraid we're going to be losing a generation of children in just six months. Let's talk about what Northern Ireland has done, though. They've decided to cut the two metre social distancing rule to one metre mm-hmm. in order to get kids back to school. Um, that would make it a lot easier for a lot of schools in this country to get more pupils back in and make sure they were getting their learning. Given the incredible amounts of scientific and medical evidence now that children are not at risk from coronavirus and not a very, very small risk of them passing coronavirus onto adults, whether teachers or parents. Should we not be following Northern Ireland in England and uh, and in Scotland and Wales and moving to one metre social distancing in schools? Well, we never based our approach on the metre distance, two metres or one metre. We've always based it on the advice that we needed to minimise children's movement in the community and around schools and to keep the numbers low. That's how we came up with the 15 
the bubbles. The bubbles don't mix with one another. Those group of 15 children will not mix with the other groups of 15 children. We're minimizing pinch points, a lot of hygiene in schools, washing of hands, cleaning, and so on. That's been our approach to how we can get one point over a million children back into schools in a phased, safe way. Um, so that, that's been our approach. We think it's the right approach. And of course, you know, all during this crisis, schools have been open. 90% of schools have been open the whole time for the children of critical workers and vulnerable children. OK, let's also talk about GCSE and A-level results going to come out in August as normal, but not really yeah. normal because, of course, uh, children haven't taken those exams at all this year. Yeah. It's based on uh, teachers' predictions. Um, my worry was that predictions would be uh, unfair because be people like me who did badly in their mocks wouldn't get the grades that they would have got if they'd done the exams and performed on the day. Turns out it's the other problem. Teachers have been far too generous predicting uh, their draft grades, uh, so they're going to have to be lowered. One third would have to be downgraded by uh, the exam uh, bodies uh, if uh, we were to actually even out to the sort of exam grades that children are achieving in previous years. Um, That's going to make those exam boards and the government pretty unpopular, isn't it? How are you going to handle that? Well, Ofqual, the the regulator Ofqual, we've been working very closely with them on this. And our determination, their determination, is that we have a system that is absolutely fair. Uh, And uh, and so when you look at the whole grades awarded, this year through the calculated grade system, it'll be broadly similar to previous years. So this year, this year's group will not lose out. Um, and we wanted to make sure that despite cancelling the exams, which we had to do for health reasons, that those children could still move on to the next stage of their education or their work, whatever they want to do next. And, and that's why we have the calculated grade system where the schools estimate, not just based on the mark, but based on a whole raft of evidence, that they calculate the grades they would have, they think they would have got had they taken the exam, um, and then uh, they then put those children in rank order. Those results are submitted to the exam board. They then uh, standardise it, and they look at the school's previous results to make sure they're not out of kilter with the previous years. And that will then lead to the the grade being awarded on the thirteenth or the twentieth of August when the results come out. If a child, if a student is not happy with that result, they can opt, if they want, to actually take the exam. And we put on a special autumn season of exams, uh, October, November, for them to retake. But again, and that's going to be much easier for the kids who've had lessons all this term. Of course. Uh, and, and, but we, that's why the GCSEs will be in November. So there is some time for them to try and catch up to take those exams again. And, and there's no risk attached either, because if, if the result they get is lower than the calculated grade they can they can take whichever is the highest will be on their certificate um we are heading towards difficult times um when do you think just just finally by by what year do you think that children are going to be caught up and this generation is going to be on a par with uh, other countries or other just other children in this country who have continued to have lessons throughout this whole lockdown period is it going to be done by 2021 or are we looking about you know decades well, you know, you, you said earlier about a lost generation. We do not want there to be a lost generation, and we will do whatever it takes to prevent that from happening. And that's what this billion pounds is about, is about making sure that over the course of this next academic year uh, that there will be support to help get those children caught up by the end of that year. But, you know, we'll look at see what happens. We'll see how effective it is. And, you know, if it's not working uh, and children haven't caught up by the end of the year, we will do more in the years after that to make sure that, they, that no child loses out as a consequence of, of this virus. Well, uh, let's hope so. I think the country will certainly all back you in that. Thank you very much for joining us, Such Education Minister Nick Gibb. It's a- Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your time. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, also later today, England Rugby have called on fans to stop singing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. They are now uh, uh, having a review into whether or not people should sing the song after it was emerged. You know, obviously, it does come uh, as a slavery song and it's been accused of cultural appropriation. Well, uh, one of the first times that she got sung very early on was actually to the next guest, Martin of Fire, uh, because, of course, his nickname is Chariots, as in Chariots of Fire, former England professional rugby league and rugby union player. Uh, Martin, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Um, um, is it cultural appropriation? Is it inappropriate? Is, is it an insult to the history of black slavery for uh, people who are supporting uh, England playing on the pitch at rugby to sing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? No, I wouldn't say. So I think uh, we all, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're eating fish and chips or you're eating a curry or you're doing this or you're doing that, um, you know, people can claim it's cultural appropriation. But I think like education and informing um, ourselves uh, about what it is that we are singing or saying, I think is is never going to be a bad thing. Education over ignorance every time. Um, you know, do I think the song should be banned? Definitely not. I think, but I do applaud the um, RFU for reviewing it. I think, uh, you know, it's a, uh, something that a light needs to be sh- shone upon. Uh, does it need? Because, does it need a review? Why does it need to be reviewed? Just because I think it, then it doesn't step. It doesn't stop there. I think I was watching the um, uh, uh, the Joe Rugby podcast the other day, and Alex Payne asked a question to Ellis Gay, and she said, after quoting some statistics about the number of black and ethnic um, uh, council members, I think which mm. was only one, Maggie Alfonsi. Do you think the RFU uh, or do you think rugby is racist? Uh, 
And he said, well, you're basically answering your own question. I think we are just looking at what, you know, turning the microscope on, on ourselves and, well, and magnifying well, hold on us. a minute. Just, just the sheer specific numbers doesn't make an organisation racist. There will be... No, I it mean, doesn't. We could argue, well, why, why are there so many black, black British people playing, you know, uh, competing yeah, in athletics, I, I, not I enough white people? Saying, That's I, racist then, isn't it? I agree with what you're saying, but I'm not saying it's racist. I said we're, we're, we're asking a question and, and, and looking at it. But if there if if there's a room, if there's several rooms of built on meritocracy and all those rooms only have one type of person in it, you would question it. That's just common sense. Because okay. even, even in a game of basketball, okay, which is meant to be predeposed by tall black people, okay, over six percent, you still get a range of people in basketball teams. You still get you get a range of people in everything, which is a meritocracy. If you only get one type of people, whether the, whatever type of person they are, I don't want to de- define them by uh, color, gender, mm. or height, or whatever, you get a range of individuals, and that's. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with asking those questions okay. or examining that. I've grown up in this country, you know, from the sixties. I've experienced things, you know. I I believe that I've been a success in within this country, so I've got no axe to grind with anything, you know. What I mean, but I always think to you is further education and understand yourself and moving on. I think the world is a far better place now than it was a hundred years ago, and I think it will be a far better place in a hundred years than it is today. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I I think. I think we have to acknowledge the progress and, and again, and not pretend Absolutely. that things are perfect. But that's very yeah. different from people saying it's still just as bad as it is now. Now, Trevor Phillips. No, no, uh, who's, that. no, oh, no, no, that. no, I, I, no. Some people have been no, saying it. And that's the problem, Martin. Would say that. I think the general consensus is that the world we're living in now, obviously, if I was born how many hundred years ago, I probably would have been a slave, you know, mm. if I, unless, you know, I was a pretty fast runner. So maybe I would have <laughs> evaded the slave catchers and, you know, and, and didn't end up with a name like Johnson and still managed to keep a fire. But uh, uh, that's uh... it's a very good point. Let me let me (laughs) let me let me read out a tweet that's posted by Trevor Phillips, former obviously chair of the uh, the uh, Human Rights Commission, Equality and Human Rights Commission. He said, "So swing low, sweet chariot, celebrating the Underground Railway, written after the Civil War by a freed slave, made popular by the African American Fisk Jubilee singers, sung at many black funerals and civil rights demonstrations, honoured by Congress, now to be banned." He said it was a favourite of Paul Robeson, of Louis Armstrong, and of Martin Luther. King. He says the last attempt to ban the song was in 1939 in Nazi Germany. So black people's own culture is also now to be cancelled. He says, please, everyone, take a breath before you eliminate black lives from history. What do you say to that? I I say that, you know, we have to be sensible about about these arguments. We can, you know, you know, sometimes the lines of communication, uh, you know, are lost, especially when you're communicating with somebody who has totally different life experiences to what you or you. And that's why sometimes it's good to review things, take a breath, consider things and let's have, you know, perfectly uh, natural conversations and have actions from those conversations and move on. I don't think anyone feels, I don't think, you know, I've spoken to Victor Aboga, I've spoken to this morning to Ugo Monyu. And I think there's no black player who's been on the pitch when this song has been sung who thinks that this song should be banned. But they are still applauding the RFU for taking a breath saying we're reviewing this, you know, maybe there's other things that we need to review and we get along swimmingly and move forward. Because I, I assure you, in a, 20 years from now, we're going to look back at, at this time we're living in now and we will be doing things differently. Yes. 
And well, well, that's the worry, of course. If we're going to be judging everybody by the current moral standards, the the, the, the trouble is uh, that uh, we're, none of us is going to live up to scrutiny in twenty years' time. And maybe cancelling that, you know, all our history and our culture and our cultural uh, enjoyment uh, from the past, uh, it perhaps isn't going to be uh, very good for us in the future. Such a pleasure to speak to you, Martin Afire. Thank you very much indeed, uh, former England professional rugby player, of course. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.